here recording episode three of lost in the woods yep yep so thanks for listening guys yeah you guys we've had 163 downloads um which include 16 states and like canada australia india finland yeah thanks guys we're so excited that so many people have tuned in to listen we hope uh, you guys keep coming back so yeah we're gonna Get into it now. Yeah, we're cozy in our basement. We're still cold, but yeah, we're a nice little um, self uh, <laughs> quarantine. But yeah, we're we're quarantined. <laughs> we live in we do live in Washington after all. You can't get toilet paper at the grocery stores right now. Yeah, good thing we're stocked up. Uh, we also had some excitement before we started recording. You know that moment where you go into your daughter's room or your son's room, whatever. Yeah, I only sure. have daughters, Can but we make sure this is not me right now that she's talking about. <laughs> I'm not talking about Madison's room, but you know that moment where you go into your daughter's room and you find food and ants everywhere. No, just me. That doesn't happen to other people. You guys, me and Madison just freaked out. We had a little meltdown. I'm glad that we don't have, like, hidden cameras in our house or, like, a camera crew or anything like that that can capture these moments. Uh, well, Madison didn't have shoes on, so... I didn't so... have shoes on, and I walked out of the bathroom <laughs> downstairs, and I just stepped into, like, a pile of ants. We were a little panicked. Uh, by the way, is spraying them with bleach the proper response? I might have ruined some things. I don't even know. I don't even care, but that's what we did. Anyway, so we're trying to calm down now so that we can get into something even more disturbing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, even better, guys. So this episode is called Murder on Blood Mountain. Settling. Charming. Charming. This case today is on Meredith Hope Emerson, a 24-year-old who graduated with honors from the University of Georgia. She spoke French and loved to travel. She was an active martial arts student and had a blue belt in Aikido or Judo. We've seen it both ways. We're yeah. not really sure which one. Or are they the same thing? We don't even know I actually. Don't know. But a blue belt, that sounds impressive. No? I don't know. I don't know. Good job, um, Meredith. She enjoyed skiing and hiking as well. Yeah, there's kind of a theme with the hiking, the love of hiking yeah. in our episodes. Weird. <laughs> it's almost like that's the whole theme of our podcast. It's almost like it's the theme of our podcast. On January 1st, 2008, New Year's Day, guys, in case you didn't figure that out, it took me a hot second, Meredith left her roommate a note that said, gone hiking, took Ella, hope you had fun. Ella, by the way, is her dog. They had been out celebrating the night before for New Year's Eve, and Meredith had gone home a little early, and I'm assuming that's where the hope you had fun yeah. comes in. I'm not really 100% and I mean, sure. And since she's getting up early in the morning to go hiking, it sounds like. Right. Around noon, Meredith arrived in the parking lot to Blood Mountain. Near the Appalachian Trail, she parked in Herbert Reese parking lot. Yeah, so this was Spur Trail, we think. It's a 3.5 miles, 1,400 feet of elevation gain. So it's just a good little hike. It was in the 50s that day with blue skies. So a little warm for that time of year, but a beautiful day, just the same. But cold still. Yeah, and this hike, you guys, is really, really popular. This Mm -hmm. is not... A middle of nowhere, no one's around. Like, this is a popular hike that she's going on. She was hiking with her dog, Ella. Ella was actually training to be a physical therapy dog, and they were both experienced hikers. Right, so hiking with her dog was something that she did on on the regular. This wasn't an unusual behavior for her. A man named Bill Clausen arrived in the parking lot that afternoon uh, and set out hiking. He says that he saw Meredith on this hike and remembered her wearing a lavender jacket. We haven't been able to confirm if she had a lavender jacket on that day, but he he did see her that day. Yeah. On his way back down the mountain, he saw an individual walking with Meredith and Ella, an older gentleman walking with them. Right. That might be important. Mm, I don't know. Might, mm, 
maybe. Which this does happen. Like we go on hikes sometimes and we will run into people while hiking that just kind of follow along with us for periods of time. Especially when we were in Europe and stuff. Oh, Europe. You guys, we hiked with different people every day in Europe. And sometimes for multiple days at a time. Yeah, there was only one day I think we even hiked by ourselves. And, and, and we, we did even, it. We didn't even last the whole day hiking by ourselves. Right, but we intentionally set out early to hike by ourselves to that day. avoid people that wanted to hike with us. Right, so I mean, in the hiking community, it's not super unusual to... Walk along with somebody for a while or hike with somebody or people will ask you, oh, what hikes have you done? Or Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's a very conversational kind of thing, especially if you're heading in the same direction. And when you pass people going opposite directions, a lot of times you'll stop and, oh, you know, the, there's no water source for the next three miles if you're doing longer hikes. On shorter hikes, it's more like, oh, it's beautiful at the top. You're almost there. Um, so it's not unusual to speak to or converse with your fellow hikers. Especially if you are like an experienced hiker and like you go hiking a lot, like it's pretty normal. And having a dog with you makes it a mm-hmm. lot easier for people to talk and interact. Cause I've noticed when we don't hike with a dog, we don't have one, but when I hike with my younger kids, it, it's a, an opportunity almost where a lot of people will be like, oh my gosh, look at this little hiker. And it, it's a conversational piece almost where it makes people feel like I'm more approachable and they talk to me more. Where Are you comparing your small children to dogs? I'm, <laughs> I'm comparing my small child to a dog, apparently. <laughs> but when I hike by myself, and Madison can probably attest to this, I, I'm a lot less approachable. Uh, in general, people don't normally just like come up and talk to me, apparently. I don't look like the most approachable person. I don't think person. either of us really. I feel like that's normal for both of us, though. We're pretty unapproachable people. Right. I, I feel think, like if we were men, it'd be even, maybe even right. less approachable. We, we look, it's not that we look mean. We don't, neither of us really have, like, bitchy resting face or anything like that. Mm, that's debatable. Well, you do a little bit. Oh, yeah, you All do right. too. Maybe we both do a little bit. But we're usually determined. Like, we usually, we set out, we get moving. Like, we we kind of have, like, a faster pace. We kind of have, like, a way that we go about it. So I think it makes us just look like we're not interested in conversation, maybe. Yeah. So some point after this, Bill encounters a man carrying some items along the trail. He's got a water bottle, a leather dog leash, sunglasses, a police baton, and it's one of those metal extendable ones. I don't know if you guys have seen police batons. I'm sure you've seen them in movies. In a lot of movies, they're like these big wood things. But it's actually one of those metal expandable ones. And it is a very common tool used by police in Georgia and also here. I mean, it's a pretty common type of police baton. But you can buy them just about anywhere. And a woman's silver hair barrette. So concerning. Baby girl, we're recording. So that was Phoenix in her underwear, her red cowboy boots, and a headlamp. And that's it. Cool. Solid outfit. You guys, there's no school. My kids can wear whatever they want right now. It's amazing. Your child constantly wears shoes with no pants. I know. It's I come home. She like, overheats. It's the weirdest thing, but she doesn't want to go without shoes on. I mean, I don't know. It's fine. This man was Seth Blankenship. He had found the items just off the trail near what looked like scuff marks. Right. So on a trail, you can kind of tell when it's been like recently disturbed, right? So if somebody was like kicking the ground or if a struggle happened or something, you would see evidence of that on most trails. Mm -hmm. Earlier, he had seen the man with Meredith carrying the police baton. Right. So he recognized the police baton because he had seen it earlier that day. Bill noticed further down the trail that the man who had been walking with Meredith was in the woods watching him. Oh my God. He seemed to be making an effort not to be seen. So Bill assumed what any hiker would assume. He's using the bathroom. He's using the bathroom. So sometimes you got to go to the bathroom when you're in the woods, right? And a lot of times people will step just off trail in order to accomplish that. Mm -hmm. Me and Madison will go a little further off trail, but men a lot of times, I mean, we've seen men like literally standing on the trail, peeing off to the side of the trail without even attempting to hide or you know they're not super worried about it and the longer distance you hike the more you see stuff like that where people are just like uh 
It's not worth the effort. So a lot of times when you see something like that, it's like, oh, don't look. And and sometimes like people will put their trekking poles up against a tree, like with in like an X, like where they headed to go to the bathroom so that people know that something's going on off trail. Yeah. But obviously this made him feel like he shouldn't be looking because he thought he was using the bathroom. They decided to turn the items into a nearby store. Right, so when Bill and Seth both get down to the parking lot and they're discussing this, these weird events, they're like, hmm, maybe something, this is kind of weird. We don't really know what's going on here. We should probably turn these items in, right? Which, this is just crazy. I mean, two people are involved in this situation who saw something but don't know what they saw, right? So they leave, uh, time goes on. By late afternoon, the weather had turned. The temperature dropped to below freezing and it had begun to snow. So that's, I mean, that's a big temperature difference. If we've got a hiker that's lost in the woods or missing in the woods, like that's pretty scary with conditions like that, right? Meredith's roommate said she didn't get concerned until she got a call saying that Meredith didn't show up for work the next day. Yikes. An entire day has gone by now. Some of Meredith's friends and her roommate decided that they should probably go look for her. They weren't really sure where she had gone, but they found some highlighted trails in a hiking book that she had, and they decided to split up and go search for Meredith's car. Yeah. Because she's, she's not answering her phone at this point. Nobody's heard from her. They don't know it's where she is. It's snowing in the mountains. It's snowing in the mountains. They found her 95 Chevrolet Cavalier in the parking lot that afternoon at Blood Mountain and immediately called the police like yeah. hey we found her car something's wrong something's wrong yeah rescue workers searched all day but found nothing georgia state patrol helicopters were unfortunately not used due to the high winds and the search stopped at dark they plan on continuing the search the next day the next day yeah so They couldn't deploy the helicopter because the winds were too high. Remember, the snow had rolled in. They did have people out there looking for her pretty quick. I mean, this is the next day. They find her car. They're out searching for her. At this point, everybody's still really optimistic that, okay, maybe she got hurt on the trail. Maybe something happened. But when they did find her car in the parking lot, the friend that found it reported that it was covered in snow and looked like it had been there for a while. So that was probably pretty scary to come across. Yeah, that's concerning. So according to her cell phone, her last call had been placed to her boyfriend at 11 a.m. the previous day. So she hadn't made any calls on it since then. Uh, Her boyfriend did confirm that they had spoken, and he had even been short with her on the phone. He didn't say why, but that's got to be pretty rough. Like the last time you talked to her, you were annoyed about something or you were frustrated about something, so you were kind of short about it. Yikes. Yikes. The police began to get a lot of tips about people who had seen Meredith hiking and reported that they had seen a man with a tan or red dog with him. Yeah, we saw it reported both ways. Uh, Tan, red. I mean, I guess like a tan, maybe to some people, might... um, Might be a red, I I don't know. I don't really know. But we've seen it reported both ways. But either way, it's very clear that he has... Or had a dog with him. Yeah. Yeah, according to witnesses. So at 2.09 p.m., the police received a tip from a man that stated he had once employed a man named Gary Hilton, who matched the description, and he also recognized the description of the dog. He gave police information about Gary's van and license plate, because remember, he worked for him, Mm -hmm. I think on and off for a long time. He also gave them Gary's horsepower, which is first and last name and date of birth. In cop talk, by the way. (laughs) Interesting. So he had all of that information, which was a really helpful tip. I mean, good for him for calling it in. For sure. By 2.30, the police had released a picture of Gary Hilton asking for any information on him. Right, which is so fast. They get a tip and they're like, well, this sounds legitimate. And they get his picture out almost immediately. Yeah. Seriously. I mean, 2.09? 2.30. To 2.30? That's so fast. We don't, so fast. We, we, don't, we see don't a lot of, see that. No, we see a lot of cases that kind of take a little bit longer to, like, get moving or they take a tip and they feel like they need to verify more information before. But at this point, they're like, 
hey, if anybody has information, we're not saying he's a suspect or we're not saying he did anything wrong, but we're looking for information on this man. Well, it's probably also because they got so much information about him. Like, and from a reliable source, too. Yeah, from, like, someone who employed him. Right. On January 4th, the police discovered that Meredith's debit card had many attempts to withdraw money from her account, but the wrong pin was used. Mm-hmm. Suspicious. At 4 p.m., a tip came in from a woman who said that she had seen Meredith's dog about 70 miles from the trail. They were able to get the dog and reunited it with Meredith's parents. Right. So by this time, Meredith's parents had come in to aid in the search. They were staying in a cabin nearby and were every day out there working with searchers trying to find their daughter. I mean, everybody's pretty panicked at this point. Like, something has to be wrong. Just before 8 p.m., a call came in, reported a person cleaning a white van. Mm-hmm. It's funny on this, because the, the van had been released to the press as well, right? Yep. This guy that called in the tip, he actually told the operator, like, yep. hey, if you want me to grab him and, and hold on to him until police get here, I can, like, if he tries to leave, <laughs> which I think is so well, funny. because... Also, we haven't mentioned Gary's age yet, have we? Yeah, that he's older. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which is probably why the guy was like, I can grab him. Like, he's yeah, like he a 60-year-old man. Like, I got this man. Like, I'll hold him. He doesn't look intimidating. Uh, right, but so he offered to grab him. He, he didn't have to do that. The police were able to get there, and he was placed into custody, but there was no sign of Meredith in his van. Which I think is part of the urgency with the caller, right? Like, hey, I can make sure that he doesn't leave because what if this woman, this missing woman, is inside his van right now? Mm-hmm. In a nearby dumpster, they found a white garbage bag with a black leather wallet containing Meredith's driver's license and several pieces of paperwork in her name. Uh, at this point, now for sure, we know that he's had contact with Meredith, right? He's got... At least had her at some point. Or... I mean, I doubt that he just found her wallet on the ground. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's going to be good luck arguing that, Gary. But (laughs) at this point, at this point, though, Gary is not cooperating with police. He's not giving them any information. He's kind of coming off like very cocky. I'm not telling you anything. I don't know what you're talking about kind of situation. I can do what I want. Yeah, I don't know. He's got he's got some issues. Another white garbage bag had been found in the dumpster and it had a fleece pullover that was covered with like dirt and hair and some vegetation and a red substance that they later find out is blood. There are also two more sweatshirts in the car that are covered with blood. How many sweatshirts do you need? Depends on how many people you've killed. Maybe. I mean, goodness sakes. They also found a U.S. Forest Service citation with Gary's name on it. The citation was from Florida and had blood on it. Okay. We've gotten a citation from the Forest Service before. Not fun, you guys. Yeah. (laughs) We didn't. So on the Forest Service passes, you have to write your license plate number down. And if you don't put your license plate number on there, then they assume that you're like pass sharing with people and they will ticket you. So I had just gotten a new Forest Service pass and it was hanging in my windshield I came back to my car with a ticket on my car, and I was like, what? My pass isn't expired. Everything's fine. Uh, and it said on there that I had been cited for not having my license plate number written on there. But I did call them, and I said, look, I it's brand new. I just hadn't had a chance to write it down. I don't keep a pen in my car. And he said, okay, tell you what. If you email me a picture of your pass with your license plate number written on it, I will let you go on the ticket. So he did. Okay. But I see cars parked all the time without passes and they never have tickets so quit picking on me (laughs) quit picking on me it's because you're a ginger it's because i'm a ginger they also found an atlanta newspaper dated january 4th 2007 along with it metal chains and bloodstained nylon ropes i'm sure nothing sketchy was done with those oh for sure not ugh So they actually had to go to Meredith's parents and they asked her to give them DNA samples so that they could compare them to the blood found on the sweatshirt. Like, can you even imagine being a parent 
And having the police be like, yeah, can we get your DNA so that we can compare it to these items? They probably asked for her DNA, like hair from a hairbrush or something from Meredith. No, the parents' DNA? They, they asked for both the parents' DNA so that they I could compare know. it to the DNA that they found on the sweatshirt. And maybe that's because that was the fastest way to get that information rather than trying to get it from a hairbrush. She did have a roommate, so contamination would be a possibility. Sure. Maybe this was just, like, the easiest way. I'm not sure. But it did say that that's how they got her DNA. Okay. We heard that the police actually said, we need to get this guy a lawyer. I think the thought process was, we need to find Meredith and maybe we can make a deal with him. Right. So, this information, that statement, and the part of the interview that we have came from a book called Those Days in January by John Cagle, who tells the story from the eyes of the detective on the case, right? So some of the information that we have came from that particular source. We think it's probably pretty credible, actually. Uh, but it was a good book. You can get it on Kindle Unlimited. I think you can get it on Amazon for like $6.99. So maybe check it out. So he's refusing to talk, right? But if they can get him a lawyer and get a lawyer there and say, Look, we want to make a deal. Our priority is to find Meredith. Like, what can we do? What can we do? AKA, or by the way, Georgia has the death penalty. I think the detective maybe in this case was thinking, okay, let's get him a lawyer and let's get this process moved. On January 6th, the search teams were massive. They had helicopters, dogs. There was local churches, you guys, that were providing warm meals to every single searcher out there, which I think is just incredible. The mood had kind of gone from hopeful to somber by this point, though. Kind of like less of looking for an alive person, more of looking for a body. Right. Like they're thinking, okay, now we know or we're pretty sure that something happened to this girl. So it's not just a matter of fighting the elements and trying to find her. Now they're fighting this other unknown possibility, right? On January 7th, the blood on the clothing found in the dumpster was confirmed to belong to Meredith. Right. So now at this point, they They know know that Meredith is at least injured or something happened because there's bloody clothing that has her blood on it, you guys. At this point, the prosecutor has agreed to a plea deal. A condition of this plea deal was that... The death penalty would be taken off the table if he would tell them where Meredith was. Which, you know, I understand that that can be a very frustrating situation for people involved. But at this point, they're like, we need to find her. Her family needs to know where she is. Is there a chance that she's still alive? Like, we don't know at this point, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. The parents were consulted and agreed that it was the best chance of getting Meredith back. Right, so it's not like they agreed to this plea deal without consulting people involved Mm -hmm. in the case. I mean, they wanted to make sure that this was something that was the right decision for everyone. Now we're going to get into the interview. We're only going to talk a tiny bit about the interview, and then we're going to go into more information after that. But I'm going to read you a little snippet from the interview that I found very chilling. Uh, So it's between a detective and Hilton, which Gary Hilton is the the man in question. So the detective, you said the body is down there on the left of the road under some leaves and brush, but not buried? Hilton, under just a pile of leaves and brush, not buried. Detective, okay, is it wrapped in anything? Hilton, no it isn't. Detective, is it clothed? Hilton, No, it isn't. Detective, is it intact? Hilton, no, it isn't. Detective, you want to talk some more about that? Hilton, okay, the head will be missing. God damn it, Gary. So I found that very disturbing. I honestly, I don't know how police detectives keep their composure in these situations. I mean, I would want to leap across the table maybe. Punch him a couple times? I mean, something, right? I don't even know. I just can't. I can't, Gary. Why? Why, Gary? Okay, so now we're going to go through Gary's version of the events. 
Right. Just a short amount of them really quick. We want you guys to kind of hear what Gary said from his perspective, like the events that transpired. Also just how uncomfortable the thoughts that are in this man's head are. He had spent the night in the parking lot the night before and had targeted her. And even hiked with her earlier in the day but couldn't keep up with her. He waited and confronted her with a military-style knife on her way back down. So basically, he tried to hike with Meredith, but he couldn't keep up. And she was continuing on ahead of him, which maybe that's because she felt uncomfortable or she had like an unease about it. She didn't want to hike slowly. She didn't want to hike with him for whatever reason. I did hear from, or I did read somewhere that one of the witnesses said he actually had like nice clothing on. But, like, his nice boots had duct tape on them. And, like, he had, you know, like, his things were nice, but they were obviously beat up. So she might have, you know, a lot of hikers do. Like, I have duct tape on some of my gear, you know. Like, when something happens to a really expensive piece of gear that you have, sometimes you slap some tape on there and hope that it makes it to the next season sale when you need to replace it. Yep. Right? I mean, we, we've done really strange, sketchy things with our shoes when hiking long distances. And and we can't, you know, we don't have time to break in new shoes on this particular hike. So that's pretty scary that he was, like, just waiting for her. So he says that she nearly got the best of him. Which, remember, she is, like, martial arts, like, blue belt, like, very athletic, strong right, woman, But... She's also, like, 5'4". Like, she's very... Well, and he has a weapon. Yeah, and he has a weapon. Right. And a lot of her friends did say, like, if anybody could fight somebody off, if anybody was strong enough to survive, it was her. So the fact that he's saying she nearly got the best of him makes sense. And he has a knife and a police baton. Yeah. Ugh. He said that she immediately started yelling and trying to grab at the knife. And... This wasn't something he was prepared for, right? He thought the intimidation of a knife was going to be enough to, like, subdue her, Mm -hmm. which turned out to not be the case. He began punching her, and he gave her two black eyes and possibly a broken nose. He claimed to have broken his hand while punching her. Oh, sorry, Gary. That sucks. fucking sucks. Did you hurt your hand? Oops. Yeah. Good. Anyway. (laughs) He thought he had subdued her, but then she started fighting again. Right, so anytime he thought that he had her, like, under control, she would, like, start fighting again, which this totally matches her personality from what we hear but from other people. But it's so very sad, like, the amount of fight that she had put up in this. Yeah. Here's a nice little quote from Gary Hilton mm. for the books. Uh, there comes a point when they fight and then they submit. And a lot of that is because of me. I reassure them. I reassure them that it's going to be okay. Them. Them. them yeah fuck you gary nobody needs your reassurance you're a piece of crap i can't even handle that he told her that he just wanted her debit card and pin number and then he wasn't gonna hurt her after he broke her nose and gave her black eyes and well, was holding a knife to yeah, her this is how he's trying to get her to submit though is like by assuring her like if you just give me your debit card and your pin number i'm not going to hurt you they stayed off trail while he led meredith and her dog back to his van he said that he had a line, assuming some type of rope. Maybe a bloody rope that was found in a dumpster later. Hmm. hmm. And he had it around her neck. Right. So this was how he was controlling her at this point. I mean, she must have just been terrified to comply with this, though. I mean, he's got a knife. He's got the upper hand. He's bigger. I would bigger. assume that her face is just, like, swollen to Yeah, she probably absolute... can't see her. She, she's bleeding. And she maybe believes him a little bit that, like, if she complies and if she does what he says, maybe he won't hurt her. Gary says that he left the parking lot around 6.30 p.m. with Meredith and Ella in his van, which I find very, very disturbing. Four days, he tried to use Meredith's debit card, but she continued to give him the wrong pin. And each time that she gave him the wrong pin, she insisted that they were the right numbers and she didn't know why they weren't working. On January 4th, three days after she had disappeared, he told her that she was going home. He tied her to a tree and then went back to his van to make himself some coffee. Well, I like to do that. Tie somebody up and then go make myself a cup of coffee. Like, God damn it, Gary. Why, Gary? Like, come on. When he returned, 
Oh, this part's so bad. I know. And this is according to him. This is according to him. She said, I was worried you weren't coming back. Right. So at this point, she's probably like, oh, he's going to tie me to a tree and just leave me here to die. Like, that'll be fun. Like, so, I mean, it could have happened where he came back and she's like, oh, I thought you weren't going to come back. And she's initially relieved. But then he beat her to death with a tire iron handle and then later decapitated her. Why, Gary? Why? But don't worry, guys. He said he couldn't bring himself to kill her dog. When asked if he had... Equivocations? Equivocations? Yeah, so like... When asked if he had equivocations about killing her... So like moral objections. Like, did he have any... Did it bother him at all to kill her? He said it was hard because they had spent, in quotes, several good good days days together. together. Barf. Like, I... you, Gary. I literally can't. I'm going to have to edit out so many less words again. <laughs> that should be our, that should be our uh, thing of the episode, though. Do you know I don't times? think we can jump straight into, like, saying the F word 30 times. Why? This man deserves, he deserves this. He does deserve it. Are you kidding me? Several good days together? You had several good days together while you kidnapped, beat up, and, and tied murdered. up a girl yeah. in the back of your van. And you call that several good days together? Somehow I don't think... That Meredith felt the same way about their several good days together. I I wouldn't imagine that she did. He actually claimed that they had had several long talks and that he even gave her a book to read, which was called Cannibals and Kings. No thank you. No thanks, Gary. Police say that she did everything right in order to buy herself time, and yet they still couldn't save her. Ugh. She bought herself three days by giving him the wrong pin number. Right, which is smart. I mean... He, he's telling her, if you just give me your debit card and your PIN number, I won't hurt you. But she, I think she knows. She knows that the second he has that PIN number, it's over for her. She's and done. he never does actually get money out of her account. So she never gives him the right PIN number. He's probably thinking it's getting too risky now. You know, like having her still. Like time-wise, yeah. Like the, well, and if he's, if he's seen the news at all... I, I did read somewhere, too, that during this time, he called his old boss, that one that turned him in, and asked him for money. But I think the the boss had been in, like, a meeting or something and hadn't gotten the call or something like that. So uh, he did actually communicate with this, this old boss during that time, according to him, which is crazy. The autopsy concluded that Meredith died of blunt force trauma to the head. Hilton did plead guilty and was sentenced to life in prison and get this with the possibility of parole in 30 years like what the actual fuck yeah seriously you kidnapped beat yeah and I, I get that he'll be like in his 90s by then but still I can't don't worry guys more more to come on that I don't know if you guys can hear the baby walking around. Sorry about any background noise. We have been trying to edit as Ugh, much of that out as we can. there's so many goddamn people <laughs> in this house. There's too many children. And everybody's home from school because of the quarantine. So <laughs> there's even more people in the house than normal. Like, just kill us now. Kill us now. Okay, go. A memorial service was scheduled for Meredith in Athens, Georgia on January 11th. And I think they also had one when they went back home as well. The parents did, I heard. But that would make sense to me. It's so sad. But a lot of the volunteers that helped search for her, even ones that had never known her, came to her memorial Mm -hmm. service, which was really kind of amazing. It's just so tragic. It's so tragic. Okay, now we're going to get a little bit into Gary Hilton, this crazy psychopath. Seriously, like crazy not somebody i would want to meet on a trail or anywhere really and also this man like oh god i can't okay gary hilton was born november 22nd 1946 at the age of 14 he was arrested for shooting his stepfather over an argument yeah from what i heard uh he didn't like the way his stepfather treated his mom or something along those terms he didn't kill his stepdad he just Shot him. Shot him. Cool. Went to jail. And I also read that he was 13 in some reports and that he was 14 in others. So it might have been in that transition. Either way. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. Either way, he wasn't even in high school and he shot his stepdad. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
He joined the army at the age of 17. After the army, he became a pilot and a flight instructor. So, attempting to, like... Have a, have a good pull, life. Pull himself together, right? Sounds like it. And the army. Why do so many of them join the army? So many. Nothing against killers. the army. We no. are all all about the army, but... Is it just a, a lack of options? Is it is there I, I think, there's something broken that makes you want to go and do I that? Think I that mean, it would be, I think it's lack of options, especially like. I mean, back in this time, that's what you did as well. You joined, yeah, the army. you joined, yeah, the army. yeah. But like, okay. I feel like it is just probably a lack of options because most of them can't hold down a good job. They can't mm-hmm. do anything. So like, when you're starting to realize that like you're going into the adult world and maybe that small amount of you that's normal is So like, are you going to join the military soon then? Because you're yeah. kind of in ha, that ha, transition. Really <laughs> but also his military background might explain his police baton a little bit as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He was married a couple of times, but it never stuck. Shocking. Shock- I'm, sh- I'm shocked. I would love to be married to this man. I'm so surprised. About? I know. I mean, his description of a it's really good surprising. few days is... Yeah. Think of all the good times these women have missed out on. I can't. Jesus. I can't. I literally can't. He was arrested for minor offenses like theft and battery, but never served any lengthy time in jail. Okay, one quick thing on that. So his old attorney did come forward at some point and say that Gary had helped him come up with movie ideas. Because weird... I'm, I'm doing quotes yeah. with my fingers. You can't see them. Because but... I guess his attorney was also not a Hollywood producer. Right, but... but... made movies, I guess? I don't really know. Maybe it was like a hobby. I'm not sure. <laughs> but one of the ideas that he says that Gary had... And good choice of friends, by the way, buddy, oh, too. Oh, and they also, like, they, they also did this. Like, they shot this film. Right. Like, so like, one of the ideas real. that Gary had was to kidnap women, release them into the woods... And then hunt them down. So that's not concerning. That's not a red flag at all. Oh, he also brought his attorney friend to the woods to a place in the National Forest. Right, where not far from where some things have gone down that we're going to talk about here in a little bit. Good choice of friends for that attorney. But also a good job coming forward, but still. I mean, I find that very concerning. Mm. Be careful what you talk about, I guess, with people. I don't really know. Although, if anybody could see, like, our Google search bars or our normal conversations in this house, they'd probably be a little concerned, especially at dinner time. I mean, I don't know. We we don't have very normal uh, family conversations, I guess. I was, like, (laughs) I was at a friend's house, and their mom was, like, oh, my gosh, you guys have to watch this documentary. It's on, like, this nun that went missing, and then, like... It's like it's a huge scandal. It's like a big scandal. It's you really just said like like twenty times, huge scandal. Got so it. So it's a huge scandal, like sexual abuse scandal, like just really messed up. And she was like, "I really hope like it's really disturbing. Like I couldn't sleep at night. Like if it bothers you, like don't actually watch it." And I was like, "I promise you, it's it's not gonna. <laughs> That's it's not, not gonna bother gonna me." I was like, "Not me. And my mom do a podcast. Like I'm we're good. So desensitized. Good. It's not gonna <laughs> bother me." So it starts coming out. That there's these other cases that may be related to, to Gary. Gary. Yeah. So... Because when big cases like this blow up, people in other departments and stuff, they're like... Other jurisdictions. Yeah. They're yeah. like, hey, I That have, sounds familiar. I have an open case that kind of Weird. seems like this one. And, and I don't think it's just like a, hey, let's see if we can th- get any of our cold cases solved by yeah. pinning them on this guy like they're I legit like, i feel like that happens quite a bit when serial killers get caught where they're like oh, oh that looks familiar hey i have something that looks related to this yeah for sure so on october 21st 2007 john and irene bryant who were both in their 80s you guys they went hiking which it's something they did on a regular basis. John had actually, I think it was the Appalachian Trail, he had hiked the entire thing from start to finish, which impressive. is pretty impressive. And both of them were, were avid hikers. Like, they hiked all the time. This was not unusual. Later that day, on October 21st, one of their phones called 911. But the call was dropped due to bad service. That's what's so unfortunate about the the cases we do is that no one has service. That's why, and that's why we carry a GPS phone. I mean, we carry an actual way to call for help if needed. 
But I find this so disturbing. I hate when people call 911 and they can't actually get help. Ugh, mm-hmm. it breaks my heart. Their car was found in the trailhead parking lot the following day. Their bank card had been used to withdraw money by a man wearing a mask. Which we didn't mention this earlier, but from the ATMs with, with Meredith's car, yeah. he was wearing a mask. Like a makeshift, like homemade kind of like mask. Like creepy, almost looks like it's made out of duct tape. I don't really, even know. It's yeah, really it's so disturbing. disturbing. Irene's body was found relatively quickly. It wasn't too far from that area. Um, and it was determined that she had died from blunt force trauma. Her husband, though, was still missing. His remains weren't found until February 5th. That's a long time later. 2008. Yeah. So that's a long time. And at this point, the case goes cold. Right? Mm-hmm. After analyzing the evidence found in the van, it was determined that the blood found on the driver's seat did belong to John Bryant. Connection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Gary was indicted in June of 2011 and pleaded guilty in March of 2012. So, yeah, I think that there was just enough evidence in that case where he was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I did that. I did My that. My bad, guys. Sorry, guys. Yeah. God damn it, Gary. God damn it, Gary. So, less than two months later, on December 1st, Cheryl Dunlap, a 46-year-old from Florida, disappeared in a national forest near Tallahassee, Florida. She was a nurse and a mother. Her car was found near the entrance to a national forest. And had a punctured tire. They determined that her tire had actually been intentionally punctured. Mm. So one of the theories is that somebody punctured her tire who was stalking her or had targeted her and waited for her to actually have to pull over because of her flat tire and then attacked her. Terrifying. Terrifying, terrifying. Which is why if I ever get a flat tire, you know, I'm really, I'm not going to get out of my car if I'm by myself. Well, that's not going to stop you from getting ambushed in your car, though. I'm going to keep my car locked. You're going to keep it. You don't think somebody's going to break your window with a police baton? Fuck, goddamn it. <laughs> On three occasions, and this might sound familiar, her ATM card was used by a man in a mask. Hmm. Mm-hmm. On December 15th, her body was later discovered with her head and her hands missing. And I read in a couple places that her body had been badly burned, but in other places it didn't match that at all. So I'm not sure if that's true, but her head... Either way. Either way, her head and her hands are missing. I do not like that. I do not like it at all. Hilton received a citation for camping in an unauthorized area. Here's these citations again from Forest Service. Thanks, guys. For camping in an unauthorized area nearby on December 28th. So this is in the same month that Cheryl goes missing and is murdered, he also receives a citation from the same area. I find that very, very suspicious. I don't know about you guys. Yeah. Maybe? I don't know. It was also determined that the knife found on Blood Mountain... Right, in one of like the crime scene areas that they found, yeah. ...was used to puncture Cheryl's tire. Okay, uh, one thing about that, that, one thing I have an issue with about that... I feel like it would be really hard to determine that it was the exact knife and how many of those knives were sold. Initially, they yeah. weren't even sure that the tire had been punctured, but later discovered that they thought it had been. So that I find a little flimsy. So like, maybe not the, like, uh yeah. Because how many people have that knife? I mean, unless there's actual evidence of her tire in that knife, which there isn't. It, it just matches yeah. the marks, right? So I have a, a teensy tiny problem but with that. her blood was also discovered on Hilton's shoelaces. That I do not have a problem with. So, like, maybe saying the knife was used on her tire is Is, maybe a little bit of a stretch. Right, but when you have her blood on his shoelaces. Like, come on, Gary. You're stealing money from people? Buy yourself some new shoelaces. Like, seriously. I mean, I don't know. And he was found guilty in 2008 and sentenced to death. Okay, so here's that Florida coming through for us on the death penalty. I'm not saying I agree with the death penalty. At this point, he's not in Georgia anymore, by the way. He is in Florida being Right, Florida is who wanted the next hit of him. Yeah. Yeah. Which, in case you guys don't know, Florida's pretty loose with the death penalty. I mean, in this case... Well, they're really fast with it. Like, their appeals process, a lot of them don't get overturned. 
everything goes through a little faster in Florida than it does, like, say, here. These two, there's two more cases that have similar MOs that police have looked at. One of them was from December 7th, 2005. Rosanna Malini, I think, who was 26, she walked into a store in Bryson City, North Carolina, and the clerk remembers her having an older man with her, and he had claimed that he was a campsite preacher, so that he he was like a preacher who like went to campsites and preached the word of God to people. And he remembers that Rosanna seemed nervous at the time. Gary bought a backpack and they left, or they purchased a backpack and left. My theory is that she was buying him a backpack because maybe she felt bad for him, or I don't feel like he would have had her kidnapped at that point because I feel like she would have said something more to the clerk, but I don't Mm -hmm. know. So that was the last time she had ever been seen was by that clerk. And the clerk called in after seeing Gary's picture on the news and he was sure it was the same guy he saw yeah, with with her that day. Two months later on December 6, 2007, the torso and legs of Michael Lewis, who was 27, were discovered in plastic trash bags inside a state park in South Daytona Beach, Florida. His head was never found. Ugh. Oh, God. Yeah. No definitive connection has been made between the cases, but they have similar MOs to Gary's. And were in areas that he was known to be in at Mm -hmm. the time. So who knows what will happen with that. And, yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm suspicious, although I do feel like the, the last one, Michael, I mean, he did kill a man before, but I think that... That was, he was an older man who maybe he thought didn't pose as much of a threat. I feel like him going after a 27-year-old man. Maybe uh, his confidence was up or something. I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe. I just feel like that one fits in a little less, although the torso and legs. I mean, it and sounds his like... head never being Yeah. Bad. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Who knows? Maybe it was someone he had a personal connection to. Maybe it was overkill for him. Who knows? I just feel like that's a risky target. And neither of these two cases had their debit cards used either so i mean he just didn't have access to their credit right maybe they didn't have them on them at the time maybe he got mad and that's why he did so much overkill or i don't know or maybe they're not related at all we don't really know but so on january 2010 and i gotta say this one like boils my blood just a little tiny bit but a reporter working for the hustle magazine filed an open records request, which you can do in any state Mm -hmm. for records, for Meredith's autopsy photos. Guys, specifically the photos of her with no clothes and no head, and he wants them for a story. I'm doing the air quotes again. He wants them for a story that he is writing. He, He calls himself a crime, true crime writer or something when he files this request, but really he works for Hustler magazine, so... We think that that's totally not legit at all. And at the time, Georgia didn't have a law against this in order to stop the release of these photos. Mm -hmm. So people close to the case immediately jumped into action to try to put a stop to this. On March 29, 2010, the Meredith Emerson Memorial Privacy Act was signed into law. This would prevent disclosure of certain types of crime scene photographs without the direction of a judge. Right, so preventing people from getting their hands on, like, sensationalized photographs, I think is the thing, right? Like, for the family and for the victims, I just think that that should never be allowed. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, but I don't think that those type of pictures should be published. I don't think that they should be available. I, I don't think so either, unless, like, you stand in front of a judge and it's, like, for a real kind of crime, like, a real type of reason but what reason exactly you'd have to have a really good damn reason and that's why they want a judge reviewing those cases before that and a lot of states already have that law it was just georgia at this time did not have the law so kudos to everybody that got involved in that case and put a stop to that happening i mean that's great so currently gary is on death row in florida uh trying to appeal his case um he's i think recently made an appeal saying that his legal team did not represent him well enough like they did not give him the best representation that they could which i i think one of them actually made a statement saying there just wasn't a lot to work with because the evidence was so stacked against him we had very little to argue 
It, it was hard to argue this case. Right. Really? Yeah, I know. Really, Gary? Really, Gary? Also, another thing with Gary is that they think, which is really irritating, that he's trying to appeal his case. It's because, like, we read you all the cases that he's like, been convicted of and the ones they think he's been convicted of. But, like, at the time when he kills Meredith, he's, like, 68. I know. I know. He's old. And usually... You deserve to be behind bars. Oh, like, yeah, stop for trying sure. to like, get... Like, stop trying to but, appeal your case. But he's not actually trying to get out of jail. He's trying to not be put to death. That's his thing. And I'm sorry, maybe don't be a chicken shit or maybe don't kill people if you don't want to be killed yourself. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. But so he's not actually fighting to get out of jail right now. He's fighting to prevent himself from getting put to death. Yeah. But also, like, a lot of people think that there's a lot more people out there that he has killed. Because usually serial killers don't start that late in their life. Right. And he's definitely fits the definition of a serial killer. Oh, for sure. No doubt. Right? I mean, three or more people with a cooling off period in between is the technical definition of a serial killer. He definitely fits that. He is very, very cocky and he's very... I mean, he's just an ass. He really is. So when several good days with her. Oh, I know. That's not something that's going to come out of a serial killer's mouth. I, I know. don't know what is. I really feel like they just should have read that at the beginning of the trial and like called it good. Called it good. Be like, you, yeah. we don't even need a trial. No. We don't. We don't need. We don't need He's anything. Like, just this lock is, me up. Like Jesus. I know. So yeah, that uh, is the story. We tried not to focus so much on Gary because we don't like him. We wanted to tell a story of Meredith Emerson, and that's really hard to do without talking about also talking about him. Uh, We realize that there are a lot of other cases involved in this, and this might be a good case that at some point we do an entire episode on him and every case that he's possibly connected to and go a little more in depth than them. This case, we really just wanted to be more about Meredith and her story. Mm -hmm. So hopefully you guys enjoyed it, and hopefully you stay safe out there and, you know, be vigilant and be safe and... Watch out for each other out on the trails. Carry some weapons. Maybe carry a maybe carry a weapon. I mean, we don't know. We're not advocating one way or the other, but well, you, know. you know, we make sure that we're very protected on the trail uh, in more way than one. So, just take care of each other out there. Yep. And we hope you like listening. Yep. Thanks for tuning in and tell your friends and come back. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on Instagram. We'll post some photos of this case. Yeah, so we'll post some photos of this case. Gary and his disturbing mask at the ATM. We're on Instagram at Lost in the Woods Podcast. That was Phoenix. Sorry for the background noise. You guys, I've had to edit out so much background noise. So Madison cussing all the time and background noise all the time, all day long. That is mostly... We, we don't edit out a ton of stuff. I mean, only when there's, like, a big disturbance in our household with other children. Because, mm-hmm. remember, I have a lot of children. Mostly I edit that, and I edit Madison cussing out. My excessive swearing, apparently, that I have. Yeah, and that's about it. So... <laughs> so I have a problem. If we lived in a soundproof house where we could lock children in that, like, a closet or something like that... That would be nice. Uh, our jobs would be a lot easier. But, yeah. Follow us and let us know what you think. And we'd love to hear from you. Come here. Thanks for listening to Lost in the Woods. See you next week.